We are Victim of Illusion, you are listening to the tall, friendly, Atheist Dead podcast. And the next 30 seconds are brought to you by our album Invisible Light, available at our Bandcamp website. Hello, my name is Damien, the Tall Friendly Atheist Dad, and host of the Tall Friendly Atheist Dad podcast. Thank you for listening to this episode. Wherever you are, whatever time of day it is, and whatever you happen to be doing, I hope you enjoy. Thank you. Sometimes, when you get what you want, it's not the end of your struggles. You close one door, but another one opens. The choices we make sometimes have unseen consequences that we have to deal with. The end of one episode is the beginning of another episode. And sometimes the birthday present you unwrap turns out to be Pandora's box. This episode of the Tall Friendly Atheist Ad podcast is titled Lessons from Life. The job of my prayers made my church upset. My first day at this new job was weird. Me and the two other guys around my age were clearly the youngest amongst the two dozen people in the room. Some who had been doing this government employment thing for years. And we were the fresh meat. Today was the start of a new spraying season, so we were made to sit through a 90-minute induction session, the do's and don'ts, the legalities we need to be aware of, expectations, management structure, and the best part, the salary. Not just the salary, the weekly salary. And not just the weekly salary, the overtime rates for Saturday and the even higher overtime rates for Sundays. Woohoo, yeah! It's funny how in Australia, they're called penalty rates, because the only person it's a penalty for is the employer. It's not like my labour output magically increases in line with the increase in salary. I'm still the same person doing the same job. Yes, I know it's to recompense for being required to work weekends, but the whole concept of penalty rates baffles me. So, when we saw the figures, me and the other two boys were looking at each other, licking our lips with big grins on our faces. But then, things took a turn for the weird again. The supervisor, a middle-aged man who looked the dictionary definition of a 25-year blue-collar government employee, asked us three what our previous employment was. 
By this stage, it was clear that us three kids were being put together in our own team. Boy 1 said he had nothing. Boy 2 said supermarket shelf stacking. Me? I told them I was a delivery boy for a global pizza brand. The supervisor must have liked pizza more than supermarkets. Because as soon as I'd given my response, I was given the team leader role. This led to puzzled looks from the other two boys, and a look of regret from me, because team leaders weren't paid any extra. But still, the salary was already pretty awesome, and I was lucky to have a job, so I was not complaining in the least. After collecting our uniforms and personal protective equipment, me and the two boys were given our first assignment, letterbox drops. We weren't allowed to spray the chemicals just yet, so the job for us kids was to take the very nice government sedan to areas marked out on a map to drop government material warning of impending spraying in their area for fruit flies. And guess who they gave the key to? Team leader. Ooh, yeah! I had left, said Global Pizza Brand, like I had escaped a burning house. But if being their delivery boy really did get me this privilege of driving that slightly expensive government car, all the sleep deprivation and crummy working conditions just suddenly paid off. But I was glad I was team leader for two other reasons. One, the area the government was preparing to spray in was only five miles from my house, so I knew where everything was happening very well. I could briefly look at the map and already know where to go, and being team leader, no one's going to argue with me. And two, I soon learned that I had the ability to give out directions without saying a word. The reason I wasn't able to say a word was because my mouth was stuffed with a chicken sandwich, but nonetheless, under trying and testing conditions, I got the job done. And the last thing on my mind was the people at my church. The summer holidays in between my third and fourth year of university, I was in a funk. Life sucked on student welfare payments, and the lack of money drove the lack of opportunity, which was driving my boredom, which was driving my depression. The drone of sleeping in, waking up with nothing to do, aside from sit and watch the TV and melt in the dry summer heat, was no way of making the most of the free time I finally had after possibly the worst year of my life, which is another episode in itself. A job was what I needed. Firstly, just to give me a reason to get up in the morning. Second, to bring some money in so I can save towards things I need. And thirdly, so I can put whatever I did on my resume to make myself look good to prospective employers. By the time someone suggested I go to my dad's former workplace and see what they say, I had been praying intensely, both privately, on Sunday morning services, 
as well as at midweek prayer meetings. This situation was eating away at my soul, so I trusted the one who nourished my soul to provide. I applied, then they called back on Friday afternoon to offer me a casual summer position. The drawback? I had to start at 7am the next morning, work every day for the next two weeks, and then 13 out of 14 days a fortnight from there on in. And the drawback with that? Church on Sunday. At this stage of my faith walk, I was either regularly in the music team, or I was one of the rostered drivers who used their car to pick up those churchgoers who didn't have cars or access to public transport. So without me around, the church was down a person, a fact I was fully aware of, but I was also desperate for a job. At this stage, I am reminded of the old joke about the man who was on the roof of his house to escape rising flood water. He prays and a boat comes, but the man refuses and says he's waiting for God to rescue him. Another boat comes, but again, the man refuses. Then the flood waters rise, a helicopter comes, and again, the man refuses the assistance, saying that he's waiting for God to rescue him. The flood gets too much and the man dies. When he gets to heaven, he asks God, God, why didn't you rescue me? God replies, I sent you two boats and a helicopter. What more did you want? I didn't want to be that man. I had been literally praying to the creator of the universe for a job. I was offered a job, so I took the job. But I knew my leadership at church weren't going to be happy. Friday night was Bible study night. After the Bible study, I announced to everyone that my prayers were answered, but with one particular drawback. And this is where things got hairy. I am of the strong opinion that nobody related to a pastor, but especially their spouses, be they male or female, should have any responsibility in a church. This isn't because I hate women or something, and I did say pastors' spouses, not simply wives, but because in every church, where the leadership group comprises of family of the pastor, the pastor's family becomes untouchable. I was once in a church where the pastor's wife was director of ministry, the pastor's sister-in-law was head of the children's ministry, and the pastor's daughter was prominent in the worship ministry. They were nice people, don't get me wrong, but acknowledging valid complaints wasn't their strong suit. And I also know full well the soul-crushing feeling of unemployment. In our capitalist Western society which runs on money, where personal worth is vested in employment status, salary, job title, purchasing power, and the ability to avoid taxes, not having a job is seen as an indication that you're a failure. 
So it was with this soul-crushing feeling that had been haunting me, finally in my rearview mirror, time had come to unleash some harsh words for Tracy, the pastor's wife. After Friday night Bible study had finished, Tracy had pulled me aside for the purposes of berating me. Now, Tracy is not the yelling type, no. Tracy was a senior travel agent for guilt trips, and she knew that no matter how awful she made you feel, there was no way she was going to feel any repercussions. What were you going to do? Complain to her husband? First, her husband was a meek pencil neck geek. Two, it's not like she can be fired from what is essentially a volunteer position. And three, if she's fired, the church then loses a third of its senior leadership. Just for backup, she brought along one of her sheep, Amelia. This church took cues from the shepherding movement. And I really like this sheep, which made me regret what I said to Tracy. But it had to be said. First, Tracy had asked, Do you think you made a wise decision? With emphasis on the biblical usage of the word wise. Then Tracy said, Damien, people have already complained to me that it's setting a bad example. Then lastly, are you able to call up the workplace and resign? It's not too late, you know. You haven't started yet. So I finally responded with a bit of heat in my words. Tracy, why are you always finding ways to hold me back, to put me down, to say that I'm causing problems? I'm doing this wrong, that wrong, this person's complained, that person's complained. I'm causing that person to stumble. If I live life by your opinions, I'm not going to get very far. And the next thing I remember after that was looking at Amelia's face. Her jaw was on the floor. But what I said had to be said. Tracy didn't speak to me for at least three weeks after that, until I apologised. And you bet that it was me doing the apologising. Oh yes. I need to do an episode about Tracy. Lots of stories there. In the end, life went on without me. Over the two months I worked that job, I only missed three Sundays. So I don't think my absence caused any great commotion. I came to learn that working 13 days in a row is not much fun. Each day becomes like the next, like the next, like the next. And the only day that has any uniqueness, and the only day that has any uniqueness to it, is payday. The job itself was great, driving government vehicles, having the authority to spray chemicals on people's property, wearing a full PPE setup in 40 degree weather under the burning Australian summer sun, making friends, and earning more money than I knew what to do with. But yeah, authoritarian churches aren't very good for personal growth. <laughs> 